the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Prosperity. Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Usually I go straight into Scripture. I'm not going to do that today. Instead, I'm going to talk about remarkable miracles that took place in reality under Pastor Guy Bevington. He was a pastor, he was an evangelist, he was a holiness evangelist. He was a straight shooter. He had a very honest relationship with Jesus. And when he prayed, he trusted that God would answer his prayer. And God always answered. He was working in a mission that he had opened in Ironton, Ohio. He had a nice baby organ, but there was rarely anyone who would play it on the streets. One night, a fine-looking man came up to me and said, Brother, if you can get someone to pump the organ, I'll play for you every night and start each line in the song. I hadn't enough strength to pump the organ myself, as I am a consumptive. In that day, it was understood, the turn of the century, that this was a terminal disease. Well, I said, I think I can get pumpers and good ones at that. So I did, and he played for several weeks. One day, with a sad expression, he came and told me, I'm getting no better here in this climate. I was so much in hope that it would prove helpful to me. His home was in the south, and he had decided to return there. He was gone in a few weeks. The next turn came when it appeared I was to go to Cleveland, Ohio, and open another mission. Well, I fought that one hard. I was very attached to those dear poor children at Ironton, a labor of love. I had wrestled for 16 months in this place, so I gave little attention to this Cleveland impression at first, but somehow it kept coming up nearly every time I prayed until it overwhelmed nearly all the petitions I was sending up. Finally, I had to give in, and through many tears, I don't know if I'd ever had such a a hard time giving up a place as Ironton. I'd overcome so many swamps and quagmires just to be there in the first place when I could deny the call no longer. I said, Lord, send someone to take my place and I will go. Within two days, a man and his wife came to take up the work. With a heavy heart, I removed myself and headed for Cleveland. I left everything at Ironton. I had no money, but I'd never run up any debts either. 
the first thing to do was to get still and pray down a mission. I went to the home of the only person I knew in Cleveland and was given lodging. I entered into six days of fasting and praying, and on the seventh day, I found myself ordered out of the house, go and find the place I have for you for a meeting place. Well, I went out. I found it quickly. I engaged it and began cleaning out the dust and the cobwebs for no one had been there for some time. A man came along and and asked if I was opening up a saloon. No. It's going to be a holiness mission. Well, well, he remarked as his face brightened up. When are you going to open? In two days, on Saturday night. Got your seats all ready? Well, they're not here, but I have them, I said, smiling to myself. Well, where are they? I have a team of horses, and I might as well draw them for you. The cost of drawing by cart is pretty high here in this city. I'll let you know if I need your help. Just give me your name and address. As he was doing so, he said, Now tell me your name and where you're staying. I gave him my name and told him the address where I'd been residing, and I went back to my work as he boarded a streetcar and left. I did not know it at the time, but he went straight out to the address I'd given him. The man of the house was at work, but the wife was more than willing to talk to him when he asked her if they knew the man named Bevington. Well, I don't know anything about him. He came here about ten days ago and said he was acquainted with my husband. I bid him to come in until my husband came home, and we gave him a room, wanting to be hospitable. I went in there and He'd been in there all this time, groaning. I suppose he was praying. But it went on for six days. He'd not eaten a thing all week. And then he emerged on the seventh day and said he was hungry. While he was eating, he told me he was going to open a mission by Saturday night. I suppose, said the gentleman, that he already has money. He said he had his chairs and an organ and songbooks, but he wouldn't tell me where they are. I could have drawn them for him this afternoon. Well, if he has money, I'd like to know where he keeps it, she said suspiciously. My husband got a little uneasy about his actions, and so we pulled out his outfit, and we went through all of his suitcases belongings, and all we could find was 29 cents in his pocketbook. But he told me he had the chairs and the whole works. Well, he sure is a funny person, she sniffed. We don't understand him at all. 
With that, the man left and returned to where I was busy cleaning. He approached me and offered his help again. My team is now idle. Why don't you draw those chairs and the rest of what you need? I saw at once that I'd better explain myself, so I quoted First John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition we've desired of him. He shook his head and he said, I don't understand you at all. You said you had those chairs. I do have them according to that verse as I prayed through on them and I'm expecting them to be here when I open on Saturday night. But there aren't any chairs anywhere. He gestured around in frustration. How are you going to get them? By standing on the Bible. I saw he was genuinely puzzled now, so I left him thinking and resumed my cleaning and looking through all the stuff on the floor. I had put out my sign that said Pentecostal Mission, so whoever was to bring the chairs and whatever else God would send could have an easy time locating me. Satan certainly found that sign. He showed up as usual, as he is always interested in any work for the Lord. He began reasoning with me, you are a stranger here and are going to have to make your wants known. That's the way all the missions do. They go out and they solicit help. You'll never open here until you do that. But I had tried that once before. And I had failed at such an approach. So I rejected the suggestion. I stood my ground in spite of the fact that I might face great reproach. If I opened Saturday night and there was no place for anyone to sit down. I believe the Lord knew exactly where my seats were. He did. And in fact... He used the brother where I had been staying to acquire them. I received several fine benches and songbooks and an organ. I never went after a thing, nor told anyone of the needs. I just laid it all before God and let him attend to it. He did just fine. First, he sent a brother from the Methodist church. He came and expressed some interest. What's happening here? A holiness mission. A work among the poor people, I replied. Well, if you haven't any chairs, I'm sure I can furnish you with some good benches. If the Lord leads you to do that, I'll be very happy. I smiled. In five hours, here came the benches with good backs. While they were being unloaded, a sister came along and said, What's going on here? I'm expecting to open a holiness mission Saturday night. Oh, my. I have an organ I'd like to put in here. 
I'll even play it if you'll if you want me to. Send it down, I urged her. The next morning it arrived with forty good songbooks. She proved to be a good organist, too. It's wonderful how when we get out of God's way, God will get his work done. The reason he doesn't work in some situations is that we get in his way. If we could just tuck ourselves off in the corner where God is ready to move, he'll always do his part. You know, I... Think about this. What I've just read to you is a true account. Is God enough? God said something very strange to me. I was praying, I was crying out to God about my situation a broken leg. I was crying out to him about the National Prayer Chapel, just a handful of people. And I was saying, Lord, I'm helpless. I'm disabled. Are you going to do something here? Or is there something that I'm supposed to do? I'm accustomed to doing everything. But through the years, God has brought me into situation after situation where I could not deliver myself. And then he stepped in and delivered me. But never quite like this one, where I'm disabled. Will God do it all? Well, let me tell you what he said to me. The Lord spoke and said, God will do it all. Now, earlier he had said to me, wait upon the Lord. That's a pretty straight command. And then he had said, I will carry you. The Lord will carry you all the way through. I said, wow, what's that mean? that he'll provide the finances for the ministry. And I have to tell you, he's doing that through the Holy Spirit moving in many of your hearts. And then he said to me, first time using my name, Ray, enter into my rest. Well, if you enter into God's rest, rest means cessation. Stop. Stop what you're doing. I'll do it. And then, much more recently, he said to me, God will do it all. And I... That was an answer to my prayer. I told the Lord, I'm crippled. I'm broken. I can't do it. I can't 
I can't raise up the National Prayer Chapel. He said he would. He said he would bring revival. Will he? I believe he will. Now, I've been in times where there has been absolutely no money, 28 cents in the purse. Great responsibilities. Things needed to be paid for. Can I trust God? Can you trust God? Can you trust that God can raise you up? A man said to me, God's never done anything for me. Well, I wonder if you've met the conditions. There are conditions for God to do something for you. The first thing you have to do is stop doing for yourself. And then you have to wait on him. Have you done that? You're not going to get it done on your own. How long does it have to go on in your life before you're willing to finally trust him and say, oh Lord, I'm sorry. I've tried to do it myself. When are you going to trust God? Do you believe that he exists? Do you believe that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Do you believe he's forgiven your sins? Do you believe he will answer if you ask him? Oh, I've asked him. Many times I've asked him. Did you meet the conditions? It's one thing to ask God to do something for you, but it's another thing to ask God, believing that he hears you and that he will do what you've asked of him. As you then patiently wait for him. I tell you, God has been remarkably kind to me. And he wants to be remarkably kind to you. Are you willing to wait on him? I first began to believe that God answered prayers when my father was in a very difficult place in ministry and there was no money for food. And God provided. I learned also when I was in a very, very difficult place, I'd lain on my face for many days I was going to be evicted from the house. There was a repo order on my car. We were out of food. It was over. 
And I finally just said to the Lord, Lord, they're going to come in this house and find me dead on the carpet. And your name will be shamed. But I'm going to stand and believe that you have heard my cry. That you will open the way. But see, most are not that desperate. I was that desperate because I had placed myself in a position where I had no ability to deliver myself. I had run out of every possibility. I was $70,000 in credit card debt. I was at the end. Except at the end, I found Jesus. He was at the end. And he heard my cry. And he sent food. And then he sent money. I didn't ask for money or food. He sent both. I'm driving a car now, a 2010 Sonata. I didn't ask for it. A family called me and said, we have this car and we don't need it. Could we give it to you? We don't think it'll last very long, but could we give it to you? Yes. Whatever the Lord says. I've now driven that car. I don't know how many miles it has. Well over 200,000 miles. We've had a few very small repairs that I've made on it. It's God's car. And it's been provided for by the Lord. I could go on and tell you example after example of God's answering my prayers. What's important for me is to know whether you will humble your heart sufficiently to wait upon the Lord. Not to be impatient, not to be angry, not to be cynical but you're simply willing to humble your heart, repent of all hardness of heart. Forgive every person who's ever harmed you and to wait patiently upon the name of the Lord. Well, I'll continue. Bevington writes, after I had moved to Cleveland, I received a letter from Sister Allen of Chattanooga. Her husband, Brother Allen, was the man who had helped by playing the baby organ for me at Ironton. I can well remember his playing with someone else pumping the pedals for him. Mrs. Allen wrote by the name by the time you get this letter, Mr. Allen will be buried. The doctor just left and said there would be no need for his calling again. Mr. Allen has bled over a court 
and is now barely alive. I can scarcely discern any life in him anymore. What I will ever do, I do not know. I took the letter into my prayer room, telling the brother who was with me not to allow anyone to come into that room and bother me. I lay down on the floor on my face and began to intercede for the next 11 hours straight. I had much going on at the time in my life, so it took me some time to get still enough to hear the voice of God. After 11 hours, I saw Mr. Allen lying as a dead man, white as a sheet and perfectly still. I thought he was surely dead. Not permitted to break the vision, I lay there for five more minutes when I saw him raise his right hand and smile. Thank you and amen, Lord. Now I will pray for his healing. I put in another nine hours of prayer to be certain whether or not the Lord wanted to heal him. Twenty hours on my face had passed, but I knew I was now on the right track. I had laid the foundation and could proceed intelligently. It was just a matter of time. After another 46 hours, I saw him raise up as a healed man. Then I saw him sitting in front of a baby organ, pumping and playing with all of his might. So I said, Praise the Lord, that's a good enough sign for me. I'd laid prostrate in a dark room for 56 hours. Now I came out a conqueror in the name of Jesus. After treating myself to a meal, I sat down to write Mr. Allen and tell him, he was a healed man, and he would be working in two weeks. I told him the exact time I saw him at the organ totally healed. Shortly after that, I saw him in a vision again. He got up and sat on the edge of his bed and began to rub himself. Then I saw him feel his arms and pinch himself and rise and look in the mirror. I heard him say, yes, this is Alan. No doubt about it. Pretty poor. Pretty poor, nothing but skin and bones, but it's Alan. Before he ever received my letter, Brother Alan and his wife wrote to me again. In this letter, he detailed every act just as I had seen it several hundred miles away. His wife on the porch, we'd, we'd gone out. She was doing some early morning clothes washing on the porch. His poor wife almost fainted from shock, but she managed to hold her poise. She insisted that he go back to bed before he dropped dead right there on the porch. He refused, saying, I'm hungry. I want something to eat. When Mr. Allen, she had replied, you're out of your head. You ought to know that the doctor would not allow you to eat anything as it would be the same as death to you. The letter continued with his next words to his wife. Oh, those words brought me great joy. Well, I'm out of the doctor's care now. You must have written to Bevington, didn't you? She nodded her head as, as he continued. I can tell you this. He's prayed through for me. And I am healed. 
Give me a square meal, wife. I can eat anything now. Mrs. Allen kept repeating that he would drop dead if he didn't get off the porch and she would not be guilty of of feeding him and killing him. But he kept insisting on having something to eat. My amusement grew as the letter continued to unfold the story. His neighbor was coming in from his nearby barn when Brother Allen hollered out to him. The man was thunderstruck when he saw who it was. Brother Allen. He called out. Allen said, I'm hungry as a bear and my wife won't give me anything to eat. Would you tell your wife to bring me over a good breakfast, will you? The neighbor went quickly into his house and urged his wife to come out and see. Such a sight. Alan is up and on the porch, and he's he's begging for something to eat. She rushed outside to see if her husband was correct, and and was amazed to hear Mr. Allen calling to her for some food. He pounded on his chest to show his soundness. As Mrs. Allen went into a state of shock, The neighbor's wife ventured over with a soft-boiled egg for the recovered invalid. Mr. Allen swallowed it down and asked for more. Since he didn't fall down dead, she returned again and again with small offerings of food until finally he had acquired a strong man's meal for himself. In two weeks, he returned to work just as I had told him. This all occurred in the spring. In the fall, I began to get some inkling that I needed to go to Chattanooga. Believing I was only thinking that because Brother Allen lived there and it would be pleasant to see him, I didn't give the thoughts much attention. But they didn't subside. Rather, they kept growing until it seemed I nearly had a monster by the tail. As a trip clear to Chattanooga was a large undertaking for my limited faith at the time. The Lord decided to head me for Chattanooga first, Cincinnati first. That did not seem such a hard problem. I was attached to Cleveland and did not want to leave there. So I did not listen very well to the Cincinnati call either. Yet the call was quite loud and very insistent. I finally said, Lord, if thou wilt send someone to take my place, I will go. Though for the life of me, I could not see why I should. I was making such good headway there in Cleveland. But as he so often had done, when I finally surrendered my will and said, I will obey. In three days, a man and a wife came to take my place, sent by the Holy Spirit. As soon as they saw me, they burst out laughing and said, That's the man. Yes, he's the one. He certainly is. And this is the place. Though I had prayed and asked for someone to take my place, I could think of no former acquaintance with this couple and must have appeared somewhat bewildered. 
Sensing my confusion, they proceeded to explain the vision they had seen, which included me two nights before in Rochester, New York. I believed their story and assented that they must be the people God had sent to take my place. Then, excusing myself, I went into my room and fell across the bed, and I broke out in sobs as I tried to accept my departure. I was not ready to leave my beloved work there. I soaked my bed with tears of remorse. Finally, I said, God, I can't doubt these people came from from you, but I cannot leave in this condition. Oh God, if it's really true that you want me to leave, relieve me of this work and remove this burden. Soon the tears were dry. The cloud had lifted. The sunlight of heaven broke upon me with such beautiful mellowness that I felt all desire to remain melt away. It was settled. I was prepared to go, but I had no money to go on. While praying in my room about railroad fare to Cincinnati, I heard a knock at the door, and I opened it, and there stood a Salvation Army sister who'd helped me in my work in the past. Brother Bevington, we just learned that you are leaving us, she said. These people who have come to take your place have a baby organ and won't need yours. I'd like to buy yours. I'd opened 14 missions, equipping each one fully by faith. I'd never taken anything with me or sold anything from any of them. I've never done such a thing, I told her. Just then the dear brother who had come from New York stepped to the door and spoke, We won't need the organ, and we both feel you need the money, so please, sell it to her, please, at once. The sister promptly asked what it was worth. I paid $15 for it, and I used it for four months. I'm guessing it's worth about $10, I told her. It would be cheap at $12. I'll give you $12 for it. With that, she laid down the money, and she took the organ with her. I took the money and departed. First, I bought $3 worth of clothing, then purchased an $8 train ticket for Cincinnati, and I had a dollar left and some 20 cents in pocket change. I arrived in Cincinnati and spent the night in in nearby Constance. The following morning, I was walking around downtown streets. When I passed a very large storefront window on 4th Street, looking inside, I noticed a bulletin board with with the words, Your Last Chance. I continued on, but the words, Last Chance, kept nagging, on my curiosity. Finally, I turned to the window and looked in and read it, but it didn't tell me what it meant, so I opened the door and looked inside. It was a railroad office. I pointed to the board and asked the attendant, Sir, what does that mean? Well, just what it says, he replied with little enthusiasm. Well, what is it saying? Haven't you heard of the 
price reduction in the excursions to Chattanooga? No, I haven't. Well, Chattanooga fares are generally reduced. This this is the last chance, the last day you can use them. Well, what time, what time does the train leave? Nine this evening. I started back out and then remembered I'd not ask the price. What's the cost? Peering over his spectacles in disgust, at so many questions, he said, round trip is $3.75. Round trip means clear to Chattanooga and back. Anything else you want to know? I slipped back out of the station and began to walk away. Chattanooga kept ringing in my ears. I approached the intersection where I would board the streetcar for my lodging that night, and a voice kept returning, Chattanooga, Chattanooga, Chattanooga. Then a voice said, plain and clear, Will you or will you not go to Chattanooga? I was startled, but quickly replied, Yes, Lord, I will, but... There it was again, that little word that has stranded so many... I was not about to be sidelined by those those letters, so I boarded the streetcar, made my goodbyes, re- retrieved my suitcase, and returned to the downtown area. I struck out for the railroad depot with only 30 minutes left before the last chance train. Noticing a man was eyeing me very closely, I approached the depot And I thought to myself, he won't get much money from me if he's planning on waylaying me. As I came near, he broke out in a big smile. When I reached him, he threw his arms around me and said, At last, Brother Bevington. Yes, but I'm in a hurry. I want to make the train in 20 minutes. Who are you? He fell in beside me as I hurried toward my destination. He laughed as we entered the depot, saying, You prayed for my wife four years ago. Jesus healed her. Since we don't have any more doctor bills left, I said, let's give Brother Bevington our doctor money. In one year, we had five dollars for you. I've been carrying it around for the past three years, waiting to see you again. God had brought him in from the country, just to meet me. Oh, how it pays to let God do his work. He understands his business far better than we do. God will, Lord, will we ever learn? Will we ever learn? I got to the train just in time to be shoved on the last coach I collapsed in my seat and thought, Well, here I am, Lord, at your command. Now, what are you going to do with me? As was often the case when I questioned God, I got this simple answer. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. My brother, my sister, 
Are you willing to put your total trust in Jesus Christ? Here I am today. I have a broken leg. I'm crippled. I could choose to go to a doctor and my Medicare would pay for it, most of it. But the Lord said, wait on me. I'm not allowed to go to the doctor. I'm, I'm to wait on God. And then the Lord said to me, I will do it all. I will do it all. Lord, I believe you. I trust you. I know you will heal me. I'm praying. I'm waiting. I'm doing the radio as he has ordered me to do. Do you understand what I'm telling you today? God is able and willing to do it all for you. You need a house, he'll find the house. You need the finances to be worked out, he'll work out the finances. You need healing, then get on your face before God. Your wife needs healing. What if it takes you 60 hours of prayer in a closed room, crying out to God? So what? Time doesn't matter. What matters is putting your entire being and trusting in the God of heaven who loves you. Well, that's where I'm at. And I know some of you think I'm very foolish. You said God will never answer your prayer. You're going to be a cripple for life. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I know this God I serve. He has answered my prayer so many times. I know I can trust him again. I trust him for a car. I trust him for healing. I trust him. Do you trust Jesus? Prove it. By taking the time, setting it apart. How much time? I don't know. Whatever he asks for. It doesn't matter how much time it takes. You're waiting on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're waiting on the Creator God of heaven and earth. You're waiting on, on Jesus.
I hope this story has been helpful to you. I've shared with you from the book Remarkable Miracles by G.C. Bevington. He learned the very simple lesson. He learned how to wait on God. Let's pray. Lord, I come today with all of my trust in you, Jesus. I know that you're going to open a revival ministry. I know you're going to open a large chapel for us. I know I can put my trust completely in you for the healing of my body and the strengthening of my heart. I wait upon you, Jesus. You have answered so many times and you have carried me along and you've treated me with such incredible kindness and mercy. Thank you, Jesus. I praise and worship and honor you. Thank you, Jesus. When I ask him, how do I fund the radio broadcast? His answer was, how do you do it at church? I said, we pass the offering plate. He said, will you do it the same way on the radio? You invite people to give as I move in their hearts. And I'll be the one who prompts people to give. I'll carry you in this ministry. And Lord, you have. I thank you, Lord. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this story of God's faith. No, it's not my faith. It's God's faith. It wasn't Bevington's faith. It was God's faith that was operative. Do you need the help of the Lord today? Do you need healing from the pain? Then put your trust in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. Stop complaining. Just get quiet before God. And trust him to do what he has promised in the scriptures he would do. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you with all of my heart. I'll talk to you soon.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.